and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. Now, over the last six months, we've done all the quick fixes, the superficial improvements, the moving of a pot plant here or changing a light bulb there. But actually, the pandemic has meant some lasting changes to the way we live and work. And for many of us, that means some proper rethinking. So we've had a look at some of the research that's been done over the last few months. And there's some really quite interesting changes in how we live and how we're using our homes. So we're going to have a look at that with particular reference to the home office. As well as that, we'll be addressing a listener's dilemma about going to the dark side in our style surgery section. And we've got some gorgeous new design books to drool over too. So it's beginning to become really clear, isn't it, about how the way we live and the way we work has really changed since the pandemic, since lockdown. And it kind of really came home to me because I've always worked from home. And so little has changed for me on that front. But it was when I went up to London to meet you guys to record uh, the podcast at Sky McAlpine's house that normally I know that if I go to Haywards Heath train station, I have to get there before 8.30 if I want to spot in the station car park. And I was catching like a 10 o'clock train that particular day. So I was like, okay, there's no way I'll get into the station car park. I need more time to go to the car park 10 minute walk away. Anyway, you know what I'm like. I'm on autopilot. I pull up to the station car park. Sorry, Hello, that's Lucy. Lucy. She wants a cuddle. Look Hello. at that. Are you coming to sit She's with actually me? not allowed on that sofa, but I'll allow it for special guests. No, you have to actually lift her up. Are you kidding She's me? She's so lazy. But look, she was coming in for a cake cuddle. You're not even a dog person, are you? But look there at that. Go. She's actually been... trying to push me off the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, we're trying Lucy? to record a very hard-hitting podcast very here. Lucy, we're professional ladies here. Oh, no, she's all right. Go. She's got in her. She's got in her spot. Right, back to Haywood Tea. I like this. I feel like I've got the mic and you have to shut up and listen. It's quite delicious. I might ring it out for as long as I can. Oh, I'm so about this to is... interrupt. Wait. <laughs> I've got all the power. No, yeah. you haven't. Where was I? So I'm all on autopilot and I turn up to the station car park and I'm like, oh, but look, I'll just, sit. maybe there's a space left. You never know. Maybe on the top floor. I drove in. I'm not joking. It was practically empty. All four. I think it's got like four or five stories, Hayward Teeth Car Park. But I, and it really brought it home to, oh, it's a fascinating story, Kate. I've got about eight things to say. do that on zoom but i can do it in real life i'm full into shushing mode i believe i've been okay so it really brought home to me how people haven't gone back to work i now can't remember how many it is but i think they were saying in france and italy it's up to 80 percent of people have gone back to work and here it's like in the 30s a friend of mine is not probably not going back to her office till next march well i have a stat Oh, you're really hating this oh. now, aren't you? Not only am I hogging the mic, I've got the stats. I might go home. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And do you know where I got this stat from? The Office for National Statistics, no less. Oh, that's my website. Okay, so they've said this as of September 2020. Nearly three in 10, that's 29% working adults, said they had changed their work location during the pandemic and were planning on continuing to work from home at least some of the time. Among those planning to work from home, all or part-time, 12% said they've considered moving to a different location in the UK, most commonly to rural or coastal areas. Well, we did touch on that in the last series, didn't we? when we interviewed Matt Gibbard from the uh, Modern House and he was saying that there was definitely interest in people leaving cities and moving out to more rural areas where they could have more space so they could have a proper home office or a shed in the garden or be more in the countryside and that actually leads in to another. I've I've got facts. I'm just going to chip in super quick but I live in a rural area and I know a couple of local estate agents who who deal with country properties and this has never been busier and so many people from London looking to relocate so into this part of East it? Sussex right now. I've been sent a survey by the flat sharing site Spare Room, which actually agrees with you there and said that sought after shares are now having a garden, being nearer to green space, but they've actually got some numbers on it so that when people were looking to rent a flat or to flat share, one of their key priorities used to be a small flat near the tube or near a train station. And now they're looking much more for bigger places with gardens, balconies. 53% want to be within a 10-minute walk to a park or half an hour from the open countryside. So I think that's interesting. It's quite a change. You know, you don't need to be able to just jump on the tube or come home via the supermarket. There's been a 98% increase in demand for gardens. Wow, that's like Incredible, isn't it? 96% increase in demand for balcony or patio. Get this, 44% increase in demand for rooms with an ensuite. And apparently that's the other thing that changed in what people are looking for, for flatmates. So it used to be you would perhaps want to live with someone who was, you know, not going to eat your food out of the fridge or was going to pay the bills on time. And obviously you have those extreme examples, Sparum's quoted of, you know, not being a Scorpio or being a meat eater (laughs) or supporting certain political parties. Those were the old priorities among renters in flat shares. And now apparently the majority of flat sharers want to share with people who are kind and empathetic and think of other people more. And that's like 56% of flat sharers now look for those as their top qualities. So, I mean, it's a... It's a change in kind of where we want to live physically, but also our priorities. Of who we want to live with. Yeah. I thought that that idea of the whole priority having shifted from, I want to live near a park rather than near the train station. station. And that's, you know, we're six months in. And I think that seems to show that people aren't expecting it to change. Mm. So that comes back to that. We're still going to be working from home where we can. So we are adapting our homes and changing the way we live. And I think you've got over there, I have read the Flexible Living Report, which was by John Lewis. And that was another big survey of 2,000 people about how we're changing our homes if we're not moving. Yeah, the John Lewis research found that one in five of us have created spaces on our homes for ourselves or others to be alone, which I love that. Yeah. It said they've said this could be as simple as a cozy chair in a hallway, a comfortable cushion on a window seat, or check this out because I love this one. 
adding candles and houseplants in the bathrooms for some me time and on the point of bathroom. They go on to say the remote working revolution has become part of everyday life and seen every room in our homes as a potential place to work. Do you want to know where people are finding this potential space where I think this is brilliant? A third of them saying they found it on their sofa. That's me. Because <laughs> I've been kicked out of my office by my teenage sons. <laughs> and nearly one in ten saying they've worked from their bathroom. You know what that is? That is young mothers of toddlers <laughs> who are like, please let me go somewhere with a lock on the door where I can just be quiet enough to send this email or take this phone call or possibly just have a pee. I know those women. <laughs> But, you know, the report goes on to say half of us expected to work from home in the future. And again, even more so working part time two or three days a week. So working from home looks like it's here to stay. You know, for us, it's not an issue. We've got a four bedroom house. And so we've been able and I've taken the dining room over as my office and Tom's taken a spare bedroom over as his. We've been able to do that. But where space is a premium, especially if you're in urban areas, you've got to start getting really inventive, haven't you? I think you need multi-purpose furniture or flexible mm -hmm. furniture and everybody's falling all over themselves to design and manufacture that at the moment i imagine well and then anything i've seen one table which i saw when i did some work with lara dute and it was effectively like a console table so it was narrow but it had a hinge so you could fold out the top oh, double clever. and i thought that was really clever so i mean you might not want to fold it out in your hall there certainly wouldn't be room in my hall but you could have it in a corner of the sitting room and yeah. you could unfold it at nine o'clock in the morning and put your work stuff on it and then tidy up and fold it back for the evening. Yeah, I so, think that's the key, isn't it? Is to be quite, um, if you are working in a room that has another purpose, yeah. a dining room, a living room, a kitchen, is to be able to sweep it all away so you can make that transition from your working day into your and relaxation. And I think the thing that's going to come out about this is when we felt in the depths of sort of proper lockdown when we couldn't leave our houses, we felt and I think hoped that it would be temporary. So if you were going to perch on the corner of a sofa, you was fine to do that for a couple of months because you'd be back in the office soon or back at a desk or your children would go back to school and free up a space. And there is now very much this sense that it's not ending anytime soon. So I think making that transition, having that discipline to shut the desk or fold it in half or push it back up against the wall or whatever it is you need to do to change it from a workspace to a relaxing space is really key. So years ago when I lived in Paris, it's oh, 30 years ago or something, I had a, a tiny, tiny studio flat and I had a chair bed as opposed to a sofa bed because it was very small. And there would be days when I couldn't sort of be bothered to fold the sofa bed back up. So it was like a bedroom all day. And I knew if I did that for a while, that was that was really bad for me because it then remained a bedroom not long before you end up having coffee in bed and working in bed and so on and so forth. So you have to make that transition. So rather than commuting home for half an hour to an hour, take that half hour to tidy up the work things and turn the room back into a bedroom, back into a dining room, back into a sitting room. Mm. Because I think mentally it's really important. As, and as I say, I think it was fine if you were sitting on the sofa and just folding your laptop up and putting it on the coffee table and sticking the telly on for a short period of time. But it's not sustainable long term. So you need to find a way to make that difference. And while I've always worked from home, one of the sort of adaptations I've made to my office 
which interestingly has come about through me not needing to go up to London nearly so much. You know, even though I work from home, I'm working from home like all the time now, mm-hmm. is working out from home. I now work out. I yes, mean, you never did that before, I did you? I never did that. I was never a worker outer. I was always very scathing of the mums on the school running their leggings and trainers. Thinking, <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's only because it pressed my button because I never felt like I had the time. Yeah. But I've discovered weight training. So now I've got, and this is so interesting, the, the the lady I train with, Team Yo online, she used to be in a gym and now she's converted her living room into a online. So that's worker. her home office, basically. Yeah, it's a yeah gym. that's and her she, home yeah. office. And I've now got in the corner of my office, my weights and my mat and all my, I've got bands, I've got dumbbells. I'm actually collecting quite a lot of kit now. I've got dumbbells now as well. So I've always been a gym goer. Oh, have you? So I've always left the house, you know, once the boys had gone to school or or left the house at sort of eight o'clock, half past eight, I would go to the gym as many mornings as I could if I didn't have a meeting. And so I felt completely stymied during lockdown mm. and I didn't know how to do it. You know, we have no equipment. My mm. son has some weights and I sort of wandered into his room and looked at them. I was like, well, I can't be bothered. I can't discipline myself to do it. So I've spent six months sitting on the sofa, hunched over a typewriter. Oh, it's so bad for your back. So that bad is. for you. So I, and I tried a few online courses and I kind of couldn't make that work because I couldn't, they'd be like, do 10 press ups. And I'd be like, I do three. Yeah, so you want you want to I be in a class. Three. I need to be in a class you because need, I need someone need to, to push me. You need to be with Team does it live and we're all on there. I've discovered the Nike training club. Oh, Although yeah. what I have discovered is that what Nike thinks is intermediate and what I think yes, is intermediate is not necessarily no. the same thing. Yes. So there's a certain amount of adaptation that has to go on. But I have finally, again, realised that along with not perching on the sofa anymore and not just thinking, well, I won't do any exercise because it's temporary. We have to make those changes on a more Mm. permanent basis. So, no, I do have to, you know, sit up and work and stretch and work out as well because it's it's ongoing. Yeah. Do you know what I'd really like, though? I'd like to get out the house now. I'd like a garden office. And according to a, a Guardian article that I dug out, research by Direct Lines Home Insurance Arm found that since lockdown began, almost one million home workers have splashed out on a shed or similar outbuilding to use as an office or workspace. And a further 1.1 million are planning to do so in the next 12 well, months. I think that's- oh, but listen, I just can't wait to get this through to you. Do you know what they're calling these uh, shed offices? Oh, God. Sh- offices. I know. Oh. You- <laughs> Any plan to have a shoffish anytime soon? Oh, if you need me, I'll be in my shoffish. Oh, my God. I was going to say, I'm amazed that one million people have bought sheds and offices. Because we looked early on at a shed. Well, we were just having a look because actually my son wants to store them and we were like, actually, we've got the time so we could build the shed and yada, yada. Everything's out of stock. You can't can't buy a shed. Can you buy a home office? When I was sourcing some stuff for Tom's office... I thought, because I've got a real thing about office chairs. I think they totally kill the vibe when you're at home. Mm. I mean, they are, and Tom loves an office chair. Does he oh, like to swivel? He, lo- he loves a bit to of a swivel. Bond villain. The bigger and the more hideous, the better. And I'm like, not in my house. Anyway, so I'm trying to, and I was thinking, oh, get him a nice vintage one. Yeah. And I went into Brighton, there's some really good little vintage shops. And I was chatting to this guy who's a furniture restorer. And he's like, I cannot source, restore, and get them out of the shop fast enough. The demand 
for office furniture right now because I was thinking at least with the because I know you know there's a lot of manufacturer issues you know a lot of the big um, manufacturers have got problems with the fact their factories got shut down for so long so I was like vintage win-win but no no everybody's on the on the same page that's so interesting Mm, I did get one though I got a really nice Eames one it's beautiful and it's my color blue but it doesn't um it doesn't have the rocker see, on it. See, here we go again. So we'll it's my colour blue. <laughs> right, let's just take this back in very simple sentences. Whose office <laughs> is it? Repeat after me. Tom's office. Would you allow a big, ugly, black, swivelly office chair in your house? It's upstairs in the corner yes. room of the house, mostly with the door shut in a colour that you've chosen for him <laughs> with absolutely no reference to what he might like at all. And now he can't even have the chair he wants. <laughs> I feel very sorry It's very difficult though. I think it's really difficult when you bring your office home to still make it work in your home. It's tough. Most of us who are able to work from home or who are working on computers are, a lot of us I would say, working on laptops. And there's very much a tendency to stick a home office in that sort of dark room at the top of the house or Mm. the spare room where you never go, where you're sharing space with the laundry drying and, you know, the unused gym equipment and all that. And that's not conducive to working. So I think perhaps one of the things to do is create storage in a spare room where you can keep, for example, the printer and Mm. files if you need them and all that sort of stuff that comes from working from home. Mm. But... Then say to yourself, well, actually, I really like that table at 10 o'clock in the morning because there's sun coming through on it. So I'll go and sit there with my laptop and be quite productive sitting in a nice place in the house. Oh, so you're but saying you have your in- office base and then hot desk around your own house. Well, yes. Oh, I like that idea. I, I think that's you what I'm saying. You could be in the bathroom. You well, there's one in 10 in the, in the bathroom. But you see, I've got, so in my sitting room... I've got a sofa in the bay window and at three o'clock on a winter's afternoon, if there's any sun, it just hits that sofa at about that time. And I've I've only sort of worked this out recently, but I've discovered I will quite often go there at that point in the day, having perhaps spent the morning hot desking at my kitchen table. Mm. Because the one place I never hot desk anymore is my office at my own desk. (laughs) Because I've got one child who in proper lockdown was there doing Zoom school lessons. And when he wasn't in there, the other one was in there just hanging out because he was sick of the sight of his own bedroom. So that's it. And actually office storage space and the hot desking home. And you've just picked up on another point, the whole Zoom thing. You know, you've got to get it well organised and beautiful because people can see you in your home office and you'll know that I've got a beautiful home because that's the cleanest who's running through the door. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting, the more Zoom thing, because we've also now, when it started off, everybody was sort of quite forgiving of the laundry in the background yes, or no. counting their spotlights. So also, people, put your laptops higher on a stack of books we do not want to see up your nose. <laughs> So much of that going on. But you've got to have a space which is inspirational as well as functional because, you you know, if you're in your house all the time and working from home, you need to be able to go to that work corner and feel like working. But then, and not go in there and go, oh, God, I can't bear to be yeah. in here because it's awful, which is why I say it's my new concept. I'm quite keen on that. Hot desk your home. <laughs> come and share your tips and insights on this whole topic the great indoors podcast is our fabulous facebook group and we are of course on instagram where i'm mad about the house and she's sophie robinson interiors now i always love a bit of a book slot on the podcast yeah what have we got time for our biannual 
roll-up of the latest interior-inspired books. And the first one I wanted to share is one of my particular favourites. It's called House of Print, a modern block printer's take on design, colour and pattern by Molly Moan. And Molly is one of my most favourite designers. I've got... uh, one of her block printed wallpapers up in my guest bedroom. Um, I love- oh, is that her? Yeah, that's oh. her. Oh, I like that. What I particularly love about this book for right now is, well, there's there's a few things. First of all, Molly shares my love of colour and pattern. It's just joyful gorgeousness. She sort of splits the book into two halves. The first half is very much about where she gets her creativity from. So I think anybody who's interested in knowing how a designer works, uh, she gets a lot of inspiration from India. She's also passionate about the Bloomsbury Group, which is very local to us here in Mm. East Sussex. Molly actually just lives just up the road from me. And the second half is a practical guide to block printing. Now, I've never tried this, but I love watching her Instagram account because it just looks so mindful. So is is this posh potato printing? (laughs) Yes, Because I'm up for that. I I thought you'd be up for it. I thought you'd be up for that. So is the idea that we could block print our own wallpaper? Can you buy blank wallpaper rolls? Well, you can buy lining paper, I suppose. You could do that. So you'd be given a cream background and you could print onto it. There's lampshades, napkins, table runners, tea towels. Can you imagine the next Christmas presents and go go. Everyone's getting a potato printed tea towel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When you next come and visit me here, there's going to be like, there's going to be a surface. Yeah, I can see it. Printed pattern on. Block printed maximalism, I'll go. I quite like the idea of a lampshade. Yeah. Because there's various, I think, is it Bespoke Binny? She makes lampshades. And I think on her website, she has lampshade making courses that you can look at. So you could learn to make the lamp, you could print the material. Well, and no, then I mean, make the lampshade. You just buy a plain lampshade, Kate. You just buy an ivory lampshade, or you might. Oh even well, if have you're a not going to take it seriously right from the beginning, <laughs> I don't know what to say. If I'm going, I'm going in full on. I am making the lampshade. And you'll I be might even turning the base. The paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do an electrical course. I've just had a quote from the builder from the electrics. You're I'm definitely, definitely doing an electrical, electrical course. <laughs> So there you go. I just think it's an absolute delight. And her whole intention really is just a celebration of craftsmanship. It's about getting tapped into your inner creativity, Kate, your inner potato. No, I'm not going to die. It's not potato printing, it's block printing. It's far more sophisticated. And it's about embracing your love of pattern and colour and kind of decorating your home in a way that you can put your own stamp on it. Do you like what I did there? Yeah. See? And I think that's that's just singing for my crib sheet right now. Forget the trends. Forget the colour of the year. Cover your home in your own pattern, isn't it? joy and personalising. Which yeah. is, I mean, not to necessarily do shouting about advertising, but I've seen a new advert for B&Q, which I thought was a really interesting line. And it was their whole new campaign is you don't buy a home, you build a home. And I think that's really quite clever as as we are now sort of adapting our homes to we really now are adapting our homes to make them work for us mm-hmm. because we've got to work in them. So it's much more personalizing. So yes, individual doing your own bit of crafting yeah. or making things that work for you too. It's resonating with me right now. Yes. And I never thought I'd say that, but yeah, bring it on. It's a lovely book, Moni. I love it. What else you got? So the next book. 
that we're going to share is called Home for the Soul, Sustainable and Thoughtful Decorating and Design by Sarah Bird and Dan Dushar. And I was really pleased when this got sent to me because I know Sarah really well. She used to be the homes editor on Ideal Home and then she was on Country Homes and Interiors okay. for ages. So she's She's got form. She's got form. And Dan Duchars is one of my favourite interiors photographers. I've worked with Dan lots of times and he takes beautiful pictures. So there is a meeting of great interior minds with this book. And what an apt subject as well. Sustainable and thoughtful decorating. I thought... I think thoughtful decorating. Yes. So opening up the book, it's sort of, I think because of Sarah's extensive background in interiors, it's not just about sustainability. She covers all bases of how you decorate a home from paint and wallpaper and storage and textiles, but all with that sustainable mindset. So all about sourcing things that are vintage, natural. So it's not like... I feel like it's quite a brown book. It's a very and brown I book. come back. I mean, I, I love a neutral. God knows we know I love a neutral. But I wanted to sort of have maybe a bit more of a sense of you can be sustainable and colourful. Yes. Sorry, my dog's assistant here is just sneezing. <laughs> she's, um, no, that, that was her uh, agree, agreeing. That's because she's brown. She's all over it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I love natural wood. There's lots of vintage wood in my house and I love all the different textiles. But I think what I haven't seen, what I'd really like to see is a book that is exploding in... In colour and sustainability. Yes, and yes. I think those pictures are very beautiful. Anything that teaches us more about how to be sustainable in interiors at the moment is vitally important. No, I totally agree. But I think also where the neutral vibe's coming from is the assumption that somehow when you've got a palette that is very monotone, that's restful and calming and that aids well-being. So it's all natural light, natural textures, textures in their natural state. Like you say, plaster walls, wood floors, nothing's been had any chemical enhancement. So I think if that look really resonates with you, if that's what makes you feel your best, if that's what makes you really connected to the earth and the planet, then this is a beautiful book. But Kate's right. If you're someone who needs some colour and not If you're you. Basically, if you're me. But the implication would be that you can't, you are not going to be able to find the perfectly sustainable home that you need because you've got too much colour. Well, I'm actually able to look at this book and think, oh, that's a really nice way that they've curated some vintage pieces. That's really nice styling. I love how plants have been introduced in that. And I do love natural textures. And for me, I can imagine the walls a different colour. But if you're a colour lover like me, then possibly... The decorating recipes aren't for you. I think take the ideas from it and take take what you can learn. But you're right about colour and a lot of paint companies now. I mean, they're all low VOCs. There are lots of eco paint companies, you know, Edward Bulmer, Earthborn, Little Green. There's lots more eco paint which can come in fabulously bright colours. So you can be sustainable and bring in lots of vibrant colour. Well, that brings us on to our final book, which I sense might be more controversial given my podcasting co-host here. And this is by Abigail Ahern, who is, of course, known for her very dark and moody interiors. And she has written a book called, great title, Everything, A Maximalist Style Guide. And what I thought was so interesting, it is a beautiful book. It's got a sort of scarab beetle green foil around the edge. I mean, it's, it's a stunning nice. looking book. Yes, it's a, it's a coffee table book. It is it? a coffee table book. But 
interesting, I think, to look at Abigail's form of maximalism, Mm -hmm. which is very different from your form of maximalism. Mm, Because yours is colourful and bright and pattern clashing and full on and in most cases, maybe not all, quite high contrast. Yeah, and And joyful and bright. And I think Abigail would she might dispute with you that hers wasn't joyful, but it's certainly not well, bright. Well, no, but she, hers is moody. I think so hers my, is, my moody maximalism are but, uplifting, whereas hers, I think, are well, moody and inky, aren't they? I think what's interesting almost is to have the two of you and say... Fight, that, fight, fight, fight. fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to put it more diplomatically than that. But yes, that sense that this is where I think it's useful for people is that so maximalism you know, is an interior design concept, but look at the two very different ways you can do it. So obviously Abigail's is darker, it's moodier. She would Controversially say, says you can't have more than three colours. She would say... So what, there's nothing maximalist about three, that, I'd argue. Well, <laughs> if I could get to the end of the sentence, poor Abigail, I'm trying to fight your corner here, Abby. Um, she would say, yes, stick to a very restricted colour palette because then on that basis you can have a riot of textures and textiles. She's interrupting me all the time. (laughs) Um, Yes, so she's bringing in Mm. in a different way. So, yes, of course, you have lots of textures and textiles. Yeah, but but I get harder on the colour. Are you going to let me speak? (laughs) We know you like the colour. We know that. Back to Abigail. Very restricted colour palette, but contrast between old and new, modern, contemporary, vintage, lots of textures, Uh lots of different feels and surfaces and things to touch and periods of your objects and layered on top of each other. That's Abigail's theory. That's all I'm going to get in before Sophie interrupts me again. No, I don't disagree. (laughs) I don't disagree with her at all, actually. And I really respect Abigail as a designer and really love her look. It's too dark for me, personally. But, you know, I'm sure... Abigail would agree everybody's got their own colour palette and you must discover what that is. Because her colours are so dark and inky, the texture is so vital for that. Yes, absolutely. You've got to have that glossy and rough next to one another. She uses lots of very kind of like rough-hewn timber. There's loads of shaggy textiles in there and sheepskins and Moroccan Berbers and, you know... She calls it friction, which is that mix of a Chinese dresser with a very contemporary chair or a vintage lamp Mm. with a very modern vase and then a very shaggy rug. So that's kind of her term for it. But I think above all, it is a stunningly beautiful book. Well, you know, I love nice pictures. I'm a flicker, not a reader. But I would say that Abigail actually has a brilliant design process and shares it very articulately in the book. So it's not just a book full of, which to be honest, I'm not going to lie, so many design books are just another book full of pushy pictures. Yeah. But there is real substance to this and she helps explain how to get her particular take on maximalism and she is indeed an expert at it. Right, so on to this week's style surgery and today we are hearing from Sarah Jane Davis and her dark room. Hi. I'm Sarah Jane Davis and I'm from Yateley in Hampshire. So I'm in the process currently of reconfiguring my house and we currently have a 10 metre long narrow living dining room. The plan is to put the wall back up between the living room and dining room. This will mean we will then have a 7 metre long room with a south facing bay window at one end. 
We have a small seating area in the extension plan, so this room will be our main living room. Should I consider installing a modern internal window in the replacement wall to allow more natural light in, or should I just embrace the dark side? Oh, I think that's a brilliant dilemma. I think the idea of take, I mean, a 10 metre long room, that is long and thin. So Does she say if it's thin? Yeah, she says it's narrow, but I think it's really interesting that she's decided to separate what was an open plan dining comes back to that yes, thing doesn't it, does. it the walls the are coming walls back are coming back hashtag so interesting and actually she doesn't say but i think a lot of classic victorian houses mine is one mm. where there's a knock through to create what come a very long thin sitting room now mine's on two different levels so the library Which works end quite nicely, feels actually, quite separate yeah. but you know Often people create these long, thin rooms. They've got a fireplace in one end, so that end remains very much the sitting room. And then the back bit is like, is it a music room? Are we just going to sit here? Is it the junk room? People don't quite know what to do with it. So actually putting the wall up and going, here we go. There's a sitting room. There's a dining room. We've given the purpose back. Because otherwise the back room is a sort of passage. I mean, the other thing to do is, which again is quite typical. I don't know whether Sarah's got a Victorian house or not, but or to have doors. You know, the big heavy doors that you would have. Mm. You could put those in if you didn't want to put a wall in. And then, for example, if you do want to open it, but I don't know, you're going to have a drinks party or a... The one thing about that, though, is that I've seen, you know, when you have those original doors, they fold, which means yes. if you've got furniture in front of them, which you inevitably have, oh, really? they're really difficult to open because you've got to move all the furniture so sliding doors I would say but Sarah talks there about having the wall back up and putting an internal window window. what do you think well I god knows I love an internal window do you I I just think serving hatches no, That's I don't think that at all. I, I think it for me, it's all a bit Alice in Wonderland. I Who love the idea of having a little peek into another room. And people do it now, you know, as a sort of crittle effect. Yes, that so looks nice. I think it looks nice. It can draw the eye in. You're borrowing light from one room and sending mm-hmm. it through into the other. So I think that's a really great way to Would get the light through. Would you not just have glass doors? Sorry, I'm back on the doors. I'll drop the doors. We're having windows. <laughs> well, no, I think you're right. You, you, you slash Sarah... They're there coming for the us. Hoover. They are coming They're for coming us. They're coming for yeah. us, aren't they? Talk quickly. Um, I think it, you've got to interrogate, as you should always do, how you're going to use the space. Yeah, so okay, if you point. think that you might be wanting to throw the doors open and have a big party, or if you've when got... When you're allowed sm- more than six people in your yeah, Oh, yes, yes. Let's not forget the legal rules. Or if you've got small children and that might be a playroom where you want to shut the door on the mess at the end of the day, mm, then, then maybe doors, doors is practical. Well, Solid doors. Or even doors. But if you really... Mu- want to keep those two spaces separate with different functions. So potentially one is a working from home space and the other's mm. an evening space. Then maybe a fixed wall with a window, window to bring the light is in quite, is the way nice to go. Idea. And then that does allow you then to have a very different decorating scheme Absolutely. in the back room, which yeah. is the should I go dark? And of course I'm going, yes, you should. Yeah. Wouldn't that be lovely? Because your south, she talks about a bay window with a south facing view. So that's presumably quite light. Presumably she's in the UK as well. So that's going to be lovely light filled room. Yeah. And then creating a completely different vibe. She didn't quite mention what this back room is going to be useful but we've already decided it's a music room or a home office yes exactly or we're, we're <laughs> just living vicariously yeah. through you Sarah in fact I'm having a music room I've decided oh oh a block printing workshop oh there you go that's what I'm having <laughs> fabulous but yeah the you know do it in a punchy color or something dark or how about like Sky McAlpine's library a red gloss 
lacquered room. Actually, no, that could be a bit insane. Well, no, I think that might be great. And uh, Or you could just, again, if she really feels it's dark. And some people are, are nervous about taking dark rooms dark. And I get that. And it also, again, comes back to the questions, are you only ever using that in the evening? Mm. Or do you need to be in there light and bright to work? You know, again, if dark rooms don't put her in the right mood to work, then she's got to go light. Mm. But you could have a dark and dramatic ceiling yes. or a wallpapered ceiling. Mm. And if you've got some kind of link between the two, one thing... I, I once suggested to someone who had effectively a knock through, but they had doors between it, was you could do the ceiling in the dark room, like navy blue or something, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. dark colour, and then you take the woodwork in the front room in that matching navy or blue. Or even like a navy so blue sofa the, or something. Or a sofa, nice. so that yeah. the rooms are linked, again, if you've got doors or an internal window. So there's some sort of thread right. between so them. Right, so do you think the doors and a window, they need to really connect? Because there's still a view. I think there's so. There's still a view through them. I mean, there's. it's up to you whether you have a huge connection or just a small one, but I think, you know, you there do need some connection. Some connection yeah. If you've got vision between the two rooms. Mm. If you haven't, then all bets are off. Mm. You can have two completely contrasting Oh, no, I mean, I'm completely going for, you know, saturated colour on the walls, a fantastic... It's like the bonkers room, Sarah. You've got a bonkers back room, yeah. completely unleash yourself, wallpapered ceiling, giant chandelier, whatever you're doing in there, you're going to feel fabulous. And then you've got your lovely light-filled living room. Which might be in more restful colours, because again, if you're going in there in the evening or at the end of the day, or you just want to feel a bit calmer. But isn't that brilliant? A long, thin room that felt disparate and disconnected. Yeah. Suddenly you've got two fabulous, well-proportioned, wonderful rooms. I'm all in favour of oh, walls. Yeah. They've been very out of fashion, but well, I, frankly, like I'm a, wall, a big fan. I like a wall. And finally, in summary... Our homes continue to be reinvented, but one thing is clear, they've never been more important to us. So get off the sofa or the Lucy or wherever <laughs> you work from and get yourself a proper desk. Uh, we reviewed three books. We had House of Print by Molly Moan, which is about igniting your passion for colour and print and creativity. Home for the Soul by Sarah Bird and Dan Dushar is all about sustainable and thoughtful decorating. And finally, Abigail Ahern dishes up everything in her latest coffee book tome. And finally, thanks to Sarah, we've decided to bring back walls. And if you find yourself with a leftover dingy box room, go absolutely bonkers and hard on colour. And of course, there will be lots more info on the blogs, madaboutthehouse.com and sophierobinson.co.uk. And this time, instead of asking you to leave us a review, we thought we'd go big and ask you to help us break America. What? Well, I know we've got listeners around the world, but at the moment there seems to be a particular surge in America, and I think we should push that. So if you have friends in America or family, colleagues, long-lost lovers, fondly remembered former teachers, <laughs> random acquaintances you met on holiday, anyone, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. Tell them to check out the Great Indoors podcast. We are going stateside. <laughs> Do you got any friends in America? No. Have you? I've got family. Um, but till then, thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective. And the biggest thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you in the Great Indoors. Have a nice day. <laughs> see what I did there? I see. Yes, I see. <laughs> I do see. <laughs> yes. Thank you, man.
block my ears. <laughs> See what she did. Is it time to go home? Is it time for my train?